Hi, I'm Grady Summers. I'm Chief Technology Officer at FireEye, and I'm here at the FireEye Eye on Security podcast. Today, we're joined by Matt Snyder. He's the Chief Information Security Officer at the Penn State Milton S. Hershey Medical Center. Matt, thanks a lot for being with us. Thanks, Grady. So you've got an incredibly complex mission here. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about the Med Center uh, and what the scope of your responsibility is. The Penn State Hershey Medical Center is an academic medical center. So while we have our traditional healthcare uh, mission that we're trying to perform. We also have our research and education mission. So we have many different things that we're trying to safeguard from uh, information and information system perspective. So when you think about your adversaries who might be seeking to uh, in- intrude here and steal information from the medical center or do damage here, uh, what, what are those adversaries and what are their primary motives? You know, I think when we look at the threat actor spectrum overall, you know, we know right now that healthcare as an industry is being targeted primarily primarily by organized crime. Uh, We've seen a lot of ransomware attacks so far in 2016 that have been very successful and highly profitable for threat actors. But I also think what we're starting to see or we've already seen is some nation state type of activity. So when I think about the threat actors that are targeting uh, the healthcare sector, it's really, in my opinion, focused on organized crime and nation state. Okay, so given that, can you tell us a little bit about your strategy? How do you think about protecting uh, this kind of very large organization against those types of very sophisticated threat actors. What's your approach? You know, I think when we talk about you know next generation defense, almost we've really moved past the traditional prevention of we know that we can't keep every threat out, every risk out, and we've kind of transitioned from a prevention model to a more response model. We still have to do prevention because it's very good due diligence, and we're going to keep out you know the ninety percent. But in that ten percent instance, you know we're really focused on identifying those attacks when they occur, those incidents when they happen, and then quickly containing and remediating them. Now, I know kind of with that approach, you're fortunate to have a really good staff here, a very skilled team. Um, we also, you know, you're a FireEye customer and, and we've worked with you to sort of extend your team. Can you talk about, uh, we like to think of a security as a service. Can you talk about how that's meshed with your team's mission? Yeah, so we've used the FireEye as a service solution for over a year now. And when we brought it on board, one of the gaps we were trying to fill was our 24 by 7, 365 coverage because we do not have the manning to run uh, a 24 by 7 SOC. So when we brought FAS on board and we started to utilize that service, it's really been an extension of our cybersecurity incident response team, helping us to identify and you know take corrective action against threats. Okay, good. Now, you recently made some pretty strong remarks about medical device security, uh, so I'd love to, to pick your brain on that topic a little bit. Um, w- how would you describe the state of medical device security today, and what should or similar organizations to yours be doing about it? You know, I think I think medical device security is is a is a really big risk that a lot of organizations are trying to wrestle with right now. And I think part of the primary challenge that we've had with medical devices is that they're different from a normal IT device. And what I mean by that is that when you look at the IT lifecycle, we're talking about something that may last five to seven years. But when we look at the medical device lifecycle, these devices are on our networks for anywhere from 10 to 15 years. They have a completely different lifecycle than normal information technology. Well, with the rapid changes that we're seeing in cybersecurity right now, now and how that landscape is so dynamic, those threats, 10, 15-year life cycles, they are unable to keep pace with 
things that are occurring in cyberspace. And that's a that's a risk that a lot of providers are taking on from the manufacturers. So now we're kind of looking back to the FDA and other manufacturers saying, how can we become more robust, more, more dynamic in securing these devices from today's threats? Yeah, it's funny. We joke, we talk a lot about zero day threats in the industry. And, and some of us joke that for industrial control systems and for medical devices, it's like a zero decade uh, type of threat because of their, their longevity. Do you think it ultimately, though, like, are incentives misaligned and that a uh, medical device has a primary purpose of saving a life or sustaining a life? Uh, and maybe there's, manufacturers simply aren't as incentivized to make sure those devices are also secure. I mean, is there a misalignment and do you see it starting to change? No, I, I don't think there's a misalignment. I, I think the medical device manufacturers are are doing the, the best they can. You know, they're, they're trying to provide, you know, basically technology that we need that helps us with patient care. But I think where the challenge is, is that cyberspace is, is a challenge for everyone. Yeah. Um, it's not just medical device manufacturers. The entire healthcare sector is being challenged from, you know, large providers down to small critical care hospitals. And I think that we've seen that challenge also in other industries. We saw it in the SCADA industry, industrial control systems. We've seen it in the financial sector, the retail sector. So I think that healthcare is kind of having its moment. And now we're seeing these devices that, that pose a risk that we now have to figure out how are we going to protect them and still be able to provide the critical patient care that we need to. It seems like it's such a catch-22 because on one hand, you want the device to be current. On the other hand, you know, an insulin pump or a, a surgical uh, tool is the last thing we want to be updating over the air, updating automatically right before a procedure. So I suppose like many things in security, it's a matter of balancing those two. That's correct. So we talk a lot about threat intelligence in our industry. It's become um, some of a, almost a malign buzzword, uh, but threat intelligence I know is important to your organization as well. How do you use threat intelligence and how do you deploy it in the organization? Yeah, threat intelligence is, is really important. In fact, two weeks ago I was in Washington, D.C., and I was meeting with the Health and Human Services Cyber Task Force mm-hmm. that came out of the Cybersecurity Information Sharing Act that was signed in 2015. And I was there specifically talking about that topic. And to me, I think that threat intelligence is the lifeblood of any organization. Organization. Um, it's really a force multiplier in the sense of if I just get an alert and it comes in and says, this IP address has done something bad, there's not a lot I can do with that. But when it comes in and says it has context and relevance, it's actual cyber threat intelligence, and it says this threat, I, you know, this IP address has done this attack on this organization, and this is the type of tools and tactics that they deployed, it allows me to more effectively respond, and we, lace, and we waste less time trying to figure out, you know, what's actually happening because we have that critical information at our fingertips. That's great. So where do you see threats uh, to the medical center here heading over the next few years? When you think about the evolution of your program, where do you see things going and how will you respond to it? So I think that medical devices are going to be a risk that's that's going to be around for a while. There's no silver bullet, so we're going to have to figure out what to do in that space. Uh, one, one type of attack vector that I think we saw this last year really is I think we're going to see a significant uptick in availability attacks. Uh, we've seen how successful ransomware was, and because uh, healthcare industries and and hospitals actually paid to get their information back. They've now incentivized these threat actors to begin targeting them more aggressively. And I think that we're going to see that that
that may actually morph into more like extortionware and other types of things. And those are threats that we're going to have to, you know, account for and, and figure out how we're going to deal yeah, with. I can definitely see that. You know, to counter any of those threats, you need great talent. Uh, I'd be curious to get your take on recruiting information security talent. You live in, uh, you work in a pretty high tech uh, area, very cutting edge research being done here, but yet you don't live near a major metropolitan area uh, here in Hershey, PA, in the outskirts of Harrisburg. I'm curious, how do you retract and attain, retain good talent for your program? It's cybersecurity recruitment is a major challenge. Um, coming from other areas where I lived in Las Vegas and Austin, yeah. there was a much wider pool and, and applicants that were willing to move to those areas. Yeah. Uh, I think overall that this isn't a challenge that we're going to fix anytime soon. Uh, I have some positions that have sat vacant for 18 to 24 months. Wow. It's been really hard to recruit qualified candidates. In a lot of instances, too, what I'm seeing is even if you are fortunate enough to recruit in a really qualified candidate, the the, the salaries and the price and how things are increasing, you, you normally only see them for about a 24 to 36 month life cycle before they're moving on to something else. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So you've uh, really done a great job, I think, building the information security program here. And we're always careful to say that because, you know, the, the next uh, breach could be just around the corner. But it's impressive what you've done here. I'm curious uh, what advice you might have to others in your position. Like how, do you, how do you make the justification to start to build an information security program uh, and, and have the budget to sustain it over time? I think the most important thing is you have to have data to drive decisions. And in a lot of instances, I feel that some people try the, you know, fear, uncertainty, and doubt route, um, especially in, in cyber. Cyber is such a new career field, and it has so much complexity that I think that people are able to elicit an, an a response to that at first. But that's a really hard thing to maintain. I think you tell a different story when, or a different story when you use performance metrics and data analytics to show this is the risk, this is what we're facing as an organization. Do we find that acceptable? If we don't, how can we apply strategies to mitigate those risks? And that's that's how you have a more collaborative, informed discussion with your executives and others, as well as demonstrating the transparency and the value that you're providing to your organization. At the end of the day, every dollar that comes into cybersecurity is a dollar that doesn't go to something like patient care or you know research. So we're very cognizant of that, and we want to make sure that we are we are providing you know that value back to the organization for for you know what they're doing. Yeah, interesting. That's well said. So hindsight being 2020, I'm curious, what advice would you give to yourself five or 10 years ago if you sort of go back in time in terms of like where, uh, where you would be focusing in information security? So it's, it's interesting. I, I think back on that. And, you know, in a lot of instances, I think that if you look at security like five to 10 years ago, it was really a policy-based type of thing. We had policies, therefore we felt we were secure. And I started to have the realization that policy does not mean real security. Yeah. After about, you know, three years of, well, I have these policies and I'm still suffering these types of intrusions, or I have these yeah. policies and I'm still facing these types of things and these things aren't getting fixed. Um, so I think if I had to go back and look at it, it would say, yes, policy is important, but really what we're seeing is technical security, you know, continuous diagnostics and mitigation, performance management. Those are areas that you have to be able to demonstrate how you're technically securing your environments, what value you're bringing back to the business versus going in and saying, 
hey, we have all these really bad threats, and here's this policy I wrote that's going to fix it, because it's not. Yeah, I agree. You know what's kind of funny, though? Our industry is so cyclical. We talked a lot about compliance 10 years ago. That didn't work. Um, and you could say it was never meant to protect against the kind of threats we face, but it didn't work. And so now um, it became popular a few years ago to say, well, look, compliance is broken. Now I see a lot of organizations who never really had religion on it, almost going back to it because their boards are saying, well, how do we know that we're doing enough? And they're saying, well, we're going to go back to the NIST standards and, and at least adhere to those so we can have, you know, we can show that we're doing what we ought to be doing. Um, sort of everything uh, runs in cycles like that. Yeah, I think that's really, I, I agree with you. I think that's interesting because, you know, I think everybody, you, you have to do compliance because it's a requirement. Yeah. But there are instances where you can take a more risk-based approach. I think what we saw is we were really far to the left and then we shot really far to the right. Yeah. And now we're starting to come back to the center a little bit where we're balancing compliance with risk management. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, Matt, hey, thanks very much for your time. It was great chatting with you today. Thanks, Grady. 